I loved the emotional rush of being scared. I still do, of course. I don't go out much to haunted houses, but I still love good, old-fashioned, scary stories. Listener discretion is advised. But now, for the first case in today's episode, we're heading to September 1968. In September 1968, 22-year-old Wendy Jo Hallison was living with her parents in Mid-City, which is a neighborhood in central Los Angeles. She grew up there with her older sister, Linda. Their father was a real estate agent, and their mother was a bookkeeper, but after she had children, she became a homemaker. Wendy and Linda grew up playing piano and painting. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC the truest story never told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. In 1968, Wendy was an art student at San Fernando Valley State College. She had a poodle named Pierre, whom she adored. She was dating a 23-year-old man named Stuart Siegel. Siegel was a private investigator. He worked for the same agency as Wendy's brother-in-law, Gilbert Court. Gilbert, who was married to Wendy's sister, Linda, was also a private investigator. On Sunday, September 29, 1968, Wendy read in the newspaper that a local drugstore had a hairdryer on sale. She decided she wanted to buy one. Wendy called her sister, Linda, and asked her if she wanted to come to the store with her. Linda turned her down. Linda had two young sons, and she wanted to spend the Sunday with her family. That afternoon, Wendy got into her car a 1964 yellow-green Thunderbird. She made it to the drugstore, and she purchased the hairdryer. She then got gas at a gas station down the road from the drugstore. Wendy was supposed to return home afterward, but she didn't. That night, her mother tried to report her missing, but the police told her it was too early to file a missing persons report. Perhaps Wendy wanted to take a short road trip and get away. It wasn't unusual for a person in their early 20s to go somewhere for several hours without telling anyone. But Wendy's family knew that something was wrong. 
They didn't think she would disappear on her own accord, even for a few hours. So her family started searching for her. Her brother-in-law, Gilbert Court, got involved, and he arranged for a helicopter to search the area. The next morning, Wendy's boyfriend, Stuart Siegel, got into the helicopter. He and the pilot began searching the neighborhood. About 15 minutes into the search, Siegel spotted the car. It was a few blocks from the gas station. The pilot tried to radio the police, but he couldn't. So they flew back to the helipad, and Siegel called Gilbert. Gilbert rushed to the area and located the car. On the floor of the back seat, he found the keys to the car. He opened the trunk, and inside of it was the dead body of 22-year-old Wendy Hallison. The police were alerted. The police came to the car and noticed that Wendy was still wearing her jewelry and her watch. The only thing that was missing was her newly purchased hair dryer. An autopsy was performed. The medical examiner thought she had been dead for about 11 hours. Wendy had been raped and strangled with a length of rope. The rope was found in the car. The police initially theorized that the killer knew Wendy and might have known that she was out shopping alone. Also, they thought that strangling her seemed personal. Eventually, the police developed four suspects, a friend of Wendy's, her ex-boyfriend, her current boyfriend, Stuart Siegel, and her brother-in-law, Gilbert Court. The most promising of them was Siegel. The helicopter pilot had no idea how Siegel identified the car from where they were flying. He thought it was as if Siegel knew where it was before they took off. Siegel also sat down for a polygraph examination. He did not pass. But the police couldn't find any evidence to connect him to the murder. Unfortunately, after a few months, the case went cold. The murder had a terrible impact on Wendy's family. Linda was tormented by the fact that she didn't go to the drugstore with Wendy. She thought if she did, her sister might not have been murdered. Wendy's parents both went to the grave without learning who killed their daughter. In 1998, 30 years after the murder, the case was reopened and the evidence was examined. Semen was found on Wendy's capris and her underwear. Using the semen, they were able to develop a DNA profile. They collected DNA samples from their original four suspects, the friend, the ex-boyfriend, her current boyfriend, and her brother-in-law. The DNA matched none of the men. Due to the limitations of DNA technology at the time, the profile they developed could not be entered into state and national databases. So while the investigators were hopeful that DNA could lead to the suspect, they soon found the case cold again. In 2001, the Los Angeles Police Department created a cold case unit. Fifteen years later, three investigators were working on Wendy Hallison's case. They decided to have the DNA tested again with better technology. It had been 19 years since it was first tested. They entered the DNA into a database, and they got a match. The DNA belonged to a man named Edwin Dean Richardson who had a long criminal record. 
In March 1960, Richardson was arrested after he kidnapped a 24-year-old woman in San Diego, California. Richardson had hidden in the backseat of her car, and then when she got in, he grabbed her and tied her up. He later released her unharmed. The woman reported the incident to the police and gave a description of her kidnapper. Richardson was arrested two hours later by an officer who saw him and thought he matched the description of the kidnapper. Richardson was sentenced to 1 to 25 years in prison. He ended up serving about 8 years in prison. He was paroled in April 1968, 5 months before Wendy was murdered. 9 years later, on November 27, 1977, 21-year-old Joanna Bogner, who lived in Belmont County, Ohio, went missing. She told her parents that she was going out for a drive and she would be back in 10 minutes. But tragically, she never returned. Her body was found a few months later on New Year's Eve, less than 50 miles away, near Wheeling, West Virginia. She had been strangled to death. Less than a month after Bogner went missing, two teenagers were kidnapped in Marshall County, West Virginia. They were later released physically unharmed. It's unclear how the police connected Richardson to the murder and the kidnappings, but investigators looked for him for the next three years. In October 1980, he was found living in Mesa, Arizona, and he was arrested. In 1981, he pleaded guilty to the murder, and he was convicted of kidnapping the two girls. He was sentenced to 15 years to life. In May 2004, Richardson was up for parole, but the authorities in Ohio didn't want him back on the streets. So they got a sample of his DNA and then put it into a national DNA database. Amazingly, his DNA was matched to an unknown suspect in a cold case. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, Check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. On October 29, 1972, 23-year-old mother of one, Marla Jean Hires, was reported missing from a Rosemead, California home. Her car was also missing. The next morning, her body was found not far from her home. It had been dumped down an embankment. She had been raped, 
beaten, and strangled to death. Her car was found near a construction site near her home. It turned out that at the time of the murder, Richardson was working at the construction site. Shortly after the murder, he moved to Ohio. Richardson was not considered a suspect because he had no connection to Marla and her family. In December 2006, 70-year-old Edwin Dean Richardson pleaded guilty to Marla's murder. Marla's husband, Martin Hires, spoke at the sentencing hearing. He said that the police initially considered him the prime suspect. Then, for over 30 years, Marla's family thought that he had killed her. It was only when the DNA match proved Richardson killed Marla that people believed that he didn't kill his wife. Then, in an extraordinary act, Martin forgave Richardson. Richardson was then sentenced to life in prison. Edwin Richardson died in 2013, about four years before his DNA was matched to Wendy's murder. In 2016, 48 years after Wendy Jo Halson was murdered, her case was finally closed. The investigators do not believe that Wendy, Marla Hires, and Joanna Bogner were Richardson's only victims. They think he was a serial killer who kidnapped and murdered women when the opportunity arose. All his victims were young, attractive brunettes. They were all kidnapped when they were on their own and their cars were all found abandoned. The investigators said that serial killers like Richardson don't usually take long breaks, but there are long gaps between the murders that they know he committed. Wendy was killed in 1968, Marla was murdered in 1972, and Joanna was killed in 1977. So they think that he killed other women during that time. They may have even found another victim, 22-year-old Margie Schweit. Margie was an executive secretary at Columbia Studios in Burbank, California. She was a former beauty queen with brown hair. On December 21, 1969, a year after Wendy was killed, Margie was found raped, beaten, and strangled in an alley in Burbank. She had run out to do some last-minute Christmas shopping. She was last seen in the parking lot of the pharmacy where Wendy had purchased the hairdryer. Unfortunately, the DNA evidence for Margie's case has been lost. But the investigators believe there are too many similarities to Wendy's murder to ignore, and they think that Richardson killed her. They also think it's possible he killed other women in Ohio and California. But if they have any other potential victims, they have not made that information public. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.